Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to the very first episode of Stay Safe and Stay Sane. I cannot believe this day is finally here. Wow. That amazing music you just heard is by the very talented Persona La Ave. You should definitely check him out. He does this jam session called Fretless Fridays that is so groovy and fun. I absolutely love it. My name is Chavis LaBelle, and I am the host of this podcast. Yeah! Thank you so much for joining me. Every person you'll meet on this show is an artist in some way, though how they express themselves creatively will differ. In hindsight, I truly feel like I'm just a conduit for these conversations. My guests are extremely talented and smart in ways I could only hope to be, and These conversations inspire me and motivate me to want to get out there and create, and I hope that you will feel seen or heard through these discussions. We talk about the good and the bad of this lifestyle, of making those first big steps when it feels scariest, to feeling fulfilled when you finally complete that big project. Going through the creative process can be very emotionally taxing, and it can serve as a mirror to ourselves. I'd actually like to take a moment to talk about beginnings. Taking that first step is often the hardest thing we can do. I'm currently feeling that discomfort myself with working on the intro of this episode. You see, I had something recorded, but as I was giving it a listen before the release, I suddenly became very self-conscious and scrapped it and wanted to give it another shot, or two, or three, or four. So here I am, doing it again. (laughs) The thing is, at some point we all have to let go, myself included. In order for me to move further down this path that I'm currently walking, I have to take a leap of faith and trust in the creative process and believe that I will learn more along the way and eventually grow and improve and get better. Because this is the beginning, and as much as we try to fight it, no one can expect to be an expert at anything at first. That's the journey. It's not all perfect Instagram posts and accolades. It's feeling that doubt creep in and having to talk yourself out of it. So, knowing that this is the beginning of my own journey, I hope you'll have a little faith in me. All but one of these interviews were recorded remotely, and we all know how smooth and easy technology always is. Nothing wrong ever happens. (laughs) I have done my best to make the audio pleasant on your ear holes so that you can listen with ease. Uh, Hopefully I did a good job, but please let me know. I am here for any and all feedback. So, thank you for tuning in and being curious about what this show has to offer. I am so excited to introduce you to our first guest, Homer Salinas. He is a cinematographer based in Los Angeles, California. Lately, his focus has been on shooting documentary films that are socially conscious. We've known each other for years and have worked on many projects together. He is a dear friend. Thank you so much for joining me, Homer. Thanks for having me, Chevis. It's always great to talk to you, and I'm happy to be on your podcast. For our listeners, Homer and I are, you know, best friends. We met in college. So not only are you an incredible cinematographer, uh, you're an amazing person, and it's so exciting to be able to chat, chat shop with you. 
Well, thanks again for having me and uh, those really nice words. You're always just just really nice uh, when you describe me. So I am always grateful for that. Yeah, I have to be your hype woman because you don't you don't hype yourself up enough for me. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> well, let's let's start at the beginning. How did you get into cinematography? You know, I know you've done it for a long time, but what what made you make that first step? I think it all started uh, when I was a teenager. Um, I think we all start when it comes to filmmaking. You you start with like uh, the interest of just making something, uh, making videos or making little short films. And um, as you begin to discover what different types of jobs or I think you find which ones you enjoy the most. And for me, it was picking up the camera was, was obviously the most fundamental part of this. But the lighting and composition, like just choosing where the camera goes was always the most exciting part. And I later discovered that that was uh, cinematography um, as its official fanciest version of the title of pointing a camera towards something nice. So yeah. Do you remember what that first project was that you you just bit the bullet and just made something? I mean, uh, from like the beginning of shooting anything, I, I always liked filming my brother's baseball games, um, just like following the action and all that uh, was like the most primitive form of liking where to what to shoot anything. But the first movie I think that I ever made was called Who. And it was just like uh, something I shot in like when I was a ninth grader and one of my best friends, uh, Leo and, and filmmaking partners, he was like, I think just in like sophomore year in college. And it's just this very cheesy, like detective movie. But, you know, I think it looked pretty good for a ninth grader that shot it. Um, you know, I created like this gimbal with my dad made out of PVC pipe, something I learned off of YouTube and... I think that was the first leap of trying to make something. And it was actually like a 30 minute little short film that, you know, I was the cinematographer for essentially. That's so cool. And I love that you got to work with your dad on that. Yeah. My dad's a very handy man. So it was nice to tap into his creativity. It was a fun, fun way to like learn the basics. And you're from South Texas. So, I mean, I'd imagine there aren't very many people in your hometown who work in this space what was that like kind of starting your journey as a cinematographer and was there any resistance whenever you decided that you wanted to go to film school yeah so I am from South Texas I grew up along the U.S. Mexico border in a small town called Rio Grande City which is about 14,000 people I mean there's no type of film production industry um, at all you know it's a it's a very alien job description but the closest thing is photography in general like portrait photography like any small town has you know their wedding photographer and um, their family photos and that was like my first step is I, I had an early mentor uh, his name is Joe Alvarez he was a photographer and I think he saw one of my YouTube videos when I was 15 and he reached out to me and thought I had you know some sort of talent and and he decided to teach me everything about lighting meanwhile also letting me use all his canon 5ds like the infamous like dslr that like changed everything so i had access to a lot of the equipment that i was finding online and always wanted to get but i was like there's no way i'll ever afford any of these things at least in uh, the high school mindset but i had access to it in a like organic natural way and i learned a lot but yeah, that's that's kind of where I first started learning about lighting from somebody, a professional photographer. So that was a great experience. 
to I think your second question was was there resistance for me to go to film school? You know, my parents uh, have always been uh, supportive of everything we did, uh, and I think that just getting a degree was basically all they really wanted. And I mean, they saw me do this all of my high school. They saw me like make money off of this too. So you know, I don't think they fully understand or understood what film school was and what it was going to be. But I mean. They just supported it because they saw me do it and saw me have fun doing it in high school. So it was a positive experience. Yeah, for a little background, uh, Homer and I actually met in an intro to documentary production class in college at UT Austin. Hook them horns. Hook them. And our professor had us share personal work, personal projects that we were working on. And you showed a clip of a work in progress cut of this documentary that you filmed in Israel before that semester with your friend and producer Leo, who you made that Who short film with, which is so awesome. (laughs) I mean, I just remember being so blown away at how far you already were in your craft. How did that project come to be? I mean, it sounds like you and Leo have worked on many projects together. Was that Leo's idea? Are you kind of someone that is along for the ride? Or, or what was that co- creative process like? And probably a little context on the project would be helpful for the listeners. Yeah, I remember I remember that class. Um, so Leo and I have been making, you know, small projects from that first movie. We talked about who to, you know, different, smaller, little, like, socially conscious messages, um, and uh, after, you know, some time apart, Leo got into medical school. You know, he's a, now he's a physician. And I was now in film school in Austin. He approached me with this project that he wanted to film in uh, Israel and Palestine. And sorry, that's my dog for the listeners. Um, but I was 19 years old. I had never been on an airplane before. But, you know, I was like, yeah, let's. I mean, it was we we did a Kickstarter. We raised a little bit of money just to really buy some batteries and basic equipment on some of the cameras I already owned, and we just kind of took the leap of faith to go shoot in the Middle East. I'd never shot a documentary before, but it was a life-changing experience because I mean, some people say like you learn by doing, and I feel like that really turned me on to documentaries in general because it was an incredible way to learn about a new subject. I've always been really uh, into history as a subject and you know the process of making a documentary and getting to hear from the people that are actually on the ground living there makes you see the world in a completely different way, especially you know in a place where it's, it's so different than the small town that you grew up in in South Texas where there's only basically one culture, you know, the majority is like 98% Mexican American, I think is like the statistic. So not much diversity. um, But going to the other side of the world to film a documentary for 10 days and and cutting together a film out of it really teaches you a lot of things that a classroom might not be able to in the same way. So that I really cherish that experience. And I, I learned a lot. The best way to learn is by doing especially in the unscripted space. And you kind of just went in feet first and got on a plane for the first time and made a almost a 50, 60 minute film documentary, which in college, which was just so amazing. I feel like it was a little backwards because I did the film and then I started the intro to documentary course. 
So I ultimately was able, you know, talk to Ellen, our professor, and I was like, hey, can I just, you know, edit this project and with your guidance, you know, arrive somewhere that you can kind of steer me into figuring out the best way to organize these ideas, or at least in a logical way. It was great because she tested me and pushed me to, you know, try to create a a balanced movie that really got to the subject we were trying to get you know we were not trying to we weren't trying to create remedies for the conflict but we wanted to analyze what were the forces at work at creating such division you know obviously it's a very politically contentious issue that is a complex to solve um that i think that's one of the things that people on the ground would say is like the more you learn about this the more complex it becomes but we just wanted to analyze what are like what is othering you know keeping it like as not scientific but like using um, some I don't know if social science is the right way but a lot like sociological ideas and on, on a side note I was always terrified that that level of division would come home domestically and then you know things have gotten a little bit more divided since 2014 but yeah I mean we that also just initiated this idea of wanting to make documentaries that have like a social social ideas and you know have policy as a question for what the documentaries are about or how policy affects people and so we from there like wanted to make more documentaries at home specifically about like healthcare policy and how that affects people even in our own hometown so that whole experience initiated that desire to continue to ask those questions and, and try to make films about it. There's something really special about working in the unscripted space because, you know, comparing it to the scripted space, you know what you're, you're getting into in pre-production. You know, you know the story. And the beauty of working in the non-scripted space is you have an idea, you have a hunch that you're following, but really you don't know what that story is going to be until you get the footage, until you get the interviews, until you spend time immersed in that world. And it's so important to leave yourself open in that process to spontaneity and to surprises. And I think that that you do a great job. And I really admire the fact that with that project in particular, you tried to be as neutral as possible. But I guess I, I would love to talk about what it means to be neutral when telling stories because inherently as much as we try to maybe denounce or counteract our own biases we do bring our pov to the projects do you think that's something that you take into consideration when you work on projects i mean yeah i think at the end of the day there is a a reality of you know objectivity is isn't something that is really attainable um you know just by its pure form that you decided to make a cut somewhere or not like it always has you know your fingerprints on it in in some way but i i think letting the characters of your documentary or your project do most of the talking or you know really trying to honor what they were their intention was is the best you can do because those are ultimately the people in the film you know you have to use the, the people that you used in your film to tell the story and, and what they said really matters because at, it's at least through the point of view of a specific set of characters that are in the film. So the basics of learning anything, like if you're shielding yourself from hearing another perspective, then filter through your own bias, then you won't 
evolve or come to a greater understanding of something because like like you said you don't have much control over what people are going to say or what you're going to get but you have to have the storytelling skills or like the filmmaking knowledge or the story editing knowledge to piece it all together into a cohesive message but you're extrapolating that from what people are telling you mostly at least in the style that we try to do and i think the thing that i love most about this space in particular of storytelling is how out of the box you have to be when approaching story because there are so many documentaries out there that have that set formula where they're introducing you to an idea they're exploring the idea and there's a resolution but the ones that really stand out are those stories that push narrative in a way that feels surprising and fresh and they reveal information in a smart way that keeps the audience engaged and that is a true art form how you reveal information definitely because you're not it's sort of the the fine line between creating a documentary and just being like a straight journalist um, about a story is like you're not that journalism doesn't incorporate drama or like dramatic elements but you know in a documentary you're you're also creating ideas not just telling exactly what happened so that is the art form is like you're writing a script with words that are already you know on a board that you have to figure out how to put into a script like it's like it's a puzzle and it's difficult <laughs> i admire great you know documentary filmmakers that is it is a is a craft it is difficult you know and that's you know and as a cinematographer behind it it's you know there's a lot of very cinematic looking documentaries but also you know cinematography doesn't take the front seat in a documentary so it's like it's it's sort of a humbling part of it too because it's more nuanced the cinematography of a documentary than just how it might look or something it's because there you don't get a second take <laughs> you know for a moment it's pure instincts it's like camera op with one shot but also somehow it's it's getting the right framing but somehow just capturing exactly what's happening at the right moment and it's a fun um, pressure to be under. And I think it's a pressure that you do well because you've shot a feature length documentary that is premiering at this year's South by Southwest. Yeah, that, that, is, that is true. And um, it's fun to, to hear it, um, especially given the story of how we got here because you and I met in that documentary class and now this is you know our movie as well like we worked on this project you know you you brought you're the one that brought me on to this documentary film called kid candidate it it was also a very amazing experience um do you want to talk about what it's about yeah uh, for the context of for the context of course 
So, yeah, the documentary that we worked on um, that's premiering at South By is called Kid Candidate. And it's the story of this musician, Hayden Pedigo. He is 24 years old. He's an experimental musician. He's very talented. And he ran for Amarillo City Council in this Harmony Corinne-inspired spoof campaign video that went viral. It was on the front page of Reddit. And I like to tell people that it's a micro look at a macro problem of the way that city councils are run across America. You know, often we pay so much attention to our presidential elections, but our tax dollars are mostly spent locally. And most of us just do not pay attention to what's happening in local government. I think both of us really hope that this will inspire people to get involved and to pay attention because if you're paying taxes, none of us want to pay taxes, but if you're paying taxes, don't you want it to go to services that you are into? Public services, parks, fixing that pothole on your street. That's your local tax dollars at work. And I think both Homer and I, you know, we're really excited about the project because we're both young people and we care. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew young people cared? But I, I think a lot of young people really, really care about making ethical choices. And I think it's pretty empowering to see Hayden run for city office. I think he shows us that you don't have to be cut from this cloth that we have deemed acceptable for government anyone can run for government literally anyone and that's it's power to the people and if you care and if you want to make a difference that's all that matters so this is this project that we worked on and it is far from glamorous yeah <laughs> let's let's Talk about the nitty and gritty. What was it like? What was this experience like just as a whole? I mean, the positive, the negative. It was very exciting to begin this film because we, you know, we didn't originally know we were going to do an entire feature film. Jasmine and I got sent to Amarillo to shoot a proof of concept. You know, I think we had a few days to capture Hayden's story, people around him, and, and get a, a sense of what running for city council in this panhandle city of Texas was like and what the atmosphere and what the climate is. You know, we're talking about a pretty conservative town in the, not, not just in the state of Texas, but, in, you know, in general. And Hayden, we found, was really trying to be a voice for, for the young people. He's a 24-year-old kid that he decided to run for, for office. So we met the, we met Hayden, we met his you know, as people. And we know we thought this was a very fascinating story. And we know the election was, you know, a few months away. And so we came back to LA and they cut together the proof of concept and Gunpowder was really excited for it. And we ultimately got sent back and we got the green light to go film this, the full story, the rest of the film from April to May. And that was really exciting for me because it was like I got to really dive deep over the course of time where I woke up every day and all I had to do was think creatively behind the lens. Before that, 
Um, you know, I had to spend a lot of time, you know, working on side projects, you know, editing, which I do and I enjoy, but, you know, cinematography is really the cake for me. Like, that is what I love to do. So getting to do that on this film was really exciting. And, and we learned a lot about Amarillo and the challenges it faces. And just like you said, it's a, it represents a more macro problem of leadership and government and the way that government is basically created for the, the, the elites, the people that are in charge, the people that have money, the professional class. And so it followed that same vein of my interests of, of politics um, all the way back, you know, from that film in Israel and Palestine. So I just thought it was the perfect project for me. I was very excited and it was like, my interests are here. Can't wait to shoot this. And I mean, in, in all reality, you know, it's, it, it's really the first, you know, this is the first feature documentary I've worked on as a cinematographer. So it's really the beginning of my career, you know, it's, and so, you know, before you get a, an opportunity like that, you know, you, you're trying to figure out where you fit in, in the craft you, you have, because I mean, it's, it's a very like senior based profession, you know, cinematography is not something that young people in the industry are really do. We filmed this documentary at the beginning of 2019, end of 2019, still didn't really know where it was going. And of course, 2020 happened. And I think we all felt a little um, unsure. I, I would love to know what was that experience like for you to have spent so many hours working on a project that you have come to care about and to not really know what was going to be of it. Did that have any effect on you? Oh, definitely. In this type of career, when you're always, you know, when you're in the freelance mode in general, you, you don't, you're not, you know, the future isn't always guaranteed all the time. So you're kind of used to that mentality. But when you just shot a film and, you know, you know, the world stops moving for like a, a second you you are you've already put in all the effort and work and you've all you pushed in the extra 10 percent every time when you were shooting it you know you gave it your all and then the idea that that whole project wasn't going to happen or exist or live in like a hard drive in some dusty shelf or something you know it's a it's a hard pill to swallow that so many people face um so yeah i think for me i was kind of in denial of it i just didn't try to think about it but you know, the second I heard that, you know, a final cut was made and it was being submitted and, and I actually got to see it, I was like very grateful and I was just, I mean, for lack of better words, really excited <laughs> that it was going to be seen. That and, and that's that's what we're looking forward to as well, you know, is like this project that we worked so hard on is this valuable story that, you know, we may have shot it in 2019 really hoping that you know that in 2020 it would be real relevant because it's a election year man did it get even more relevant this year because it is aside from its micro story of you know local politics and the apathy the majority of our generation of millennials our younger end is towards like local government and the and stuff like that like the political focus that has happened since we filmed that um, by everyone has just uh, grown so much. So people are better 
prepared to actually watch this movie, I think, than they ever have been. So I'm really interested in to see how people are going to react and what people think about it, because it's also a piece of the timeline and uh, of until where we are now. Like that's two years ago in America, in the world, in a very conservative part of the country. It, it's it's even more relevant, in my opinion, now. What's interesting is that you've diversified in many different ways. Yeah, you've camoped, you've been a cinematographer, but you've also been shooting projects for hospitals and editing and you've really done quite a bit of hustling but this was before COVID are you glad that you had made those steps earlier on in your career do you think that that helped with coping with the challenge of last year I mean definitely I think another interest of mine is being interested on the business side of things and being a cinematographer most of the time is a is a is a job that requires a lot of other people to make it happen for you you know you need a lot of support you need a budget you need all these things and being a young cinematographer you don't have as as much opportunities to wait around and and wait for the project to land towards you you need to you need to stay moving you need to stay working on something that means that you have to use all your knowledge to 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 create videos or content and and so i've i've like since i first came to los angeles i created business um you know not the best name but uh I, and it's called homer media through that i've i've worked with schools i've worked with hospitals um educational organizations i've worked with uh, the yale school of medicine you know a bunch of different brands and uh organizations that need help making productions and and creating a message it it was very beneficial to have those clients and those and that like expertise or um, knowledge on how to make videos for people because in 2020 that's what everybody needed all of a sudden and i had the infrastructure to make that happen i was able to stay really busy making videos because i invested the time into to making content outside of just being a cinematographer because, I mean, I, I do everything from creating motion graphics to casting people to be in this, you know, small project. I kind of know how to do everything out of survival. But yeah, it was a cre- it was a, a little bit more of a creative dry spell. You kind of like put your head down. I think I think part of it was that like I worked like maybe 90 hours a week or something just like making things all the time. Like I never stopped editing. <laughs> North Pole Props is more than a prop house. Whether you're a professional looking for decor and specialty lighting, or a hobbyist looking to expand your craft, they care about the creative process. What I love most about North Pole Props is their mission to create a community that supports emerging artists. So if you need unique decor items and lighting to make projects or personal life more exciting, and want to join an amazing community too, then reach out to the good folks at North Pole Props at North Pole Props or via email NorthPoleProps at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. What do you love about the process? I love the challenge of it. Well, like for shooting the documentary that we shot in Amarillo or any documentary in general, you have less planning, right? You don't really have the time to explore a space before you get to um, film in it. 
And so you have to think on your feet from what you've trained for and what you've learned along the way on how to achieve the right looking image for the story you're trying to tell. Because you can make a pretty looking image if you do a few steps, but it has to be contextual to what the story is. You're always tweaking and trying to make uh, the image look better. Essentially like starting with a blank canvas, you know, you have whatever existing light is in a space and then you could either choose to use it to your advantage or, you know, if you have more time and control, then you get to redefine ex everything. You get to kind of, it's kind of sort of a cliche statement in this space, but like you kind of paint with light, you know, you're like, what am I going to create here? Because I know how to manipulate all these things. But what, are, what is the end achievement? Like you're essentially just creating the rules or like the logic of why something looks a certain way in an image and then like replicating it in other images so that in a sequence it all makes sense. So it's a lot of things to juggle in your head, but ultimately you're creating an image that is like satisfying to yourself. That's the challenge and that's the fun. And then Part of the fun for me is that sometimes you don't have the right equipment. <laughs> so you got to get a little extra creative. You have to like kind of work with physics and figure out how you're going to balance this one thing to shape the light just how you want it. It may look ridiculous behind the scenes, but the image that you got is all that really matters. There's something uh, addicting to that, I guess. In that, in the purest form of just shooting, that is draws me to it all the time is just perfecting an image to try to get it to what you have in your head, replicating that in, in real life. How would you define a cinematographer? It would have to be an expert image maker. I don't know. It's like, he just serves it up. You know, what are you, if you want something to feel, you know, somebody, I mean, and that's what a director does in communication is like, you know, this is a, a tragic moment. I want to capture the tragedy. And it's like, okay, we'll serve it. We'll, coming right up like we'll serve that for you um we can do it these four ways but you know given what we've been talking about i think we should do it this way and so not only is it knowing how it's going to look but you kind of have to know what piece of equipment and the wattage of the light that is going to pump through the circuit system to make sure that the whole thing does, it's just like it's a master of knowing the technical ergonomics and energy consumption of of the the tools around you and also like the fine just final image down to its like edited color grade in post it's a lot of things it's it's definitely something that you get better at with years and experience i definitely do believe that the more you know more experience is always better in this profession or this art form so as much as i'm an advocate for young cinematographers i am definitely in deep respect for the elders and the, <laughs> the people before us. It's one of those really special roles that is creative and technical. And I, I love hearing you talk about it because I think so often people who, you know, don't know anything about the process assume that a, a cinematographer just picks up the camera and shoots. But clearly from how often you've talked about lighting and composition and, you know, you, you briefly mentioned collaboration with a director um, because it's it is a collaboration. It's not just one one sided. You're not the only person that is making that shot look the way it is, but you are leading that process. And there has to be a lot of trust there. I always try to think of it in analogies and, you know, I don't really I can't 
you know, off the top of my head, think of what the director cinematographer relationship would be, but it it's got to be something between like an engineer and an architect. I don't know which one's which quite. <laughs> I, I think it's a hybrid of both because the director is clearly also an architect and both of them are architects and engineers because there's a pra like practical sense of having to achieve each thing. But I think at the end of the day, it's this harmony between the left and the right brain. That's, I think, what is so incredible about the job. Do you have a, a creative idol? Do you have someone that you want to emulate your career after or someone that you just really admire in this space? I mean, I think there's... I have, you know, a list of cinematographers that I enjoy their work. I, I don't necessarily, and maybe this is a mistake on my end, but I don't necessarily point to their trajectory as, or their, like, specific career as, like, something I, I want to emulate because part of me doesn't believe that it'll ever be exactly that way. I mean, it obviously won't, but I don't know. I, I guess I want to just pivot to that. I think a greater source of my inspiration is just my own parents and um you know their story you know when things are hard to do or, or i find things to be challenging it's like i i see them as been doing the, the hardest challenge of coming to a country that they don't speak the language and you know ultimately finding success and you know i think i've discovered from my dad that he's he's truly an artist behind the scenes like he's even like a songwriter now so for the context my my dad is like a full-time truck driver and he's written like six songs in the last like two years in the time that he's been driving he's slowly been writing on a notepad and he's just been writing these songs in this like you know this traditional style of like northern mexican music called corridos and where it's, it's basically like storytelling and he's basically talked about the most important things in his life you know his own mom uh, my mom his wife you know us the kids and so here's a man that is just like I guess as as blue collar as you can think, just hardworking. Wakes up at you know 4 a.m. every day. Basically an inventor. You know he knows how to make anything happen, but he's also found this creative outlet that he's decided to share with us. It's a very personal thing, and I think that takes courage. And I keep myself grounded and and focused with my parents as the example of perseverance through challenge, challenging times, and then just kind of appreciating their hidden artistry that I feel like probably trickled down to me genetically and they just have not explored it or had the tools to fully explore it. That's so beautiful. And I think it's just so inspiring that your father is going down his own creative exploration I think it only just goes to show that it's never too late to try something. It's never too late to, to play and experiment and be bold enough to fail. But I don't think that he could ever possibly fail because he's doing music for all of the right reasons. He's doing it because it makes him happy and he wants to share these stories and himself with the people that he knows. Yeah, I, it's just like at its purest form, you know, from the intention. You know, there's no, it doesn't have to filter through what we have to think about of like, oh, is it going to satisfy this one person that just doesn't really know where I'm coming from or blah, blah, blah. And then if you're so attached to your work and any criticism of it, 
then it's going to be defeating. But when it's when you're just creating to to create and or at least you, you know, can separate yourself from it and just do it for the joy of it, then it's going to be more satisfying. I actually even produced one of his songs and, and gave it to him as a gift for his 60th birthday. That was fun to do, too. Like, I, I don't like I love cinematography, but I don't I, I just can't limit myself to just Sometimes I don't even want to just call myself that because I just like making different things um, with what I know how to do, which is just shoot, edit, even dabble in recording and like helping produce a song. You know, it's it's like those things are, are fun. I really hope that we can kind of fight back against feeling like we needed to call ourselves one thing. I think we should all have the freedom to play around. We should all have the freedom to dabble even if it may not necessarily be something that we want to do for the rest of our lives, that doesn't mean we can't try, we can't experiment. Because if we try to do something that maybe is out of our main lane, it's just going to teach us so much more about what we are passionate about. Yeah. If, if you have to step into the role of a director, now as a cinematographer, you're a little bit more sensitive to what that person's going to have to bring to that project maybe the stresses that they have to deal with. If you put yourself out there and get in front of the camera and, and, and act in something, you understand what it's like to have someone else giving you notes and it makes you more sensitive to maybe the notes you're giving. You know, I was working in development for uh, a couple of years and I, I'll be honest, at the beginning of my career, I was not the best at giving notes because I wasn't sensitive to what it was like to be on the other side of the table. And it wasn't until I started putting myself out there creatively and having other people consume my art that I realized my grave error in giving notes previously. I did not take the time to tell people what I liked about a project because I was just so eager. I assumed that they would understand what, what I was already thinking. Like, let's dive into what we can fix. But that's not what the creative process, especially a collaborative process, that's not what the collaborative process is all about. We do need to, to take the time to talk through what we do like just as much as maybe the things that we don't like. And we do need to put ourselves in the shoes of the people that we are giving feedback to because inherently all of us are sensitive. As much as we say, oh, I don't really care. You know, you can tear it apart. You can tear apart my project. I just want your notes. Yeah, you understand that you can take criticism, but... We all have boundaries, and I think it's important for us all to understand what that other person on the other side of the table might be experiencing. No, that's it's what's true in the, whatever role that you played. I mean, to you know, for me, when I'm, it's terrifying when you know somebody watches. I guess what you may have shot because in your head, you know all the dirty secrets of what went wrong in that moment, or what was that one thing you were chasing in that one shot that you didn't get that you you were trying to get but it didn't happen because of xyz reason and so you're watching the movie in a completely different way than you know a lot of us are really hard on ourselves um you know i think sometimes we wear the badge of being our like worst critic or whatever but it's a dangerous territory sometimes because you need to be able to accept what you've made and you know sometimes personally that's hard for me to accept so it's something that I'm working on as well, too, is just because, I mean, you when you're so hard on trying to achieve something in a 
precise way and there's a shortcoming to it then you, you can drive yourself crazy with it but when somebody just watches the the full project and in all of its context they didn't even realize the 10 things that you were thinking about in the moment of when that shot came on screen you're like i wish that shot didn't exist <laughs> it's a collaborative art form and sometimes that's gonna happen and you're just gonna have to deal with it even if we don't love something there's always something to learn from it you know i have worked on projects that i really love and projects that i am lukewarm on um, and even the projects that i'm lukewarm on I don't regret those experiences at all because I was able to sit down afterward and I think about what can I do in the future to avoid X, Y, or Z? Is there a question I can ask earlier on in the process to make sure that I'm on the same page creatively with the other people or whatever? If we allow ourselves the freedom to evaluate these experiences with kind eyes, then I think it's only going to make us better. It's really just about, it's about like, what, how does that experience make you feel? In my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it's like you have to, or else you won't be able to accept what you've worked on. You know, I think it's, I recently come to understand what the, like the term perfectionism is and um, how like it's kind of misinterpreted as something that it's okay to strive for or it's like no it's it's really just not acknowledging your own growth and success i think a lot of creatives are uh, have to have to deal with that and and learn how to learn how to deal with it so yeah cuz i i think it's just like a tough overlap between you know what success looks like on like instagram and uh what success of accomplishing a creative goal is you know one the motivation can't has to be the the one where it's self-fulfilling as opposed to something that is external because then you you won't be satisfied homer Thank you so much for taking the time to just talk shop with me. It was so lovely. And I don't know, we, we, we talk like this all the time. So this just feels like a, a regular afternoon. Definitely. I just really appreciate you, you coming on to the pod. I appreciate the invitation. And, you know, it's always great to talk. If you would like to see some of Homer's amazing skills, he has a website. Uh, go on over to homersalinas.com. He also has an Instagram. What's your Instagram, Homer? Uh, my Instagram is Omero Salinas Jr. So it's just Homer with the O at the end and, you know, Salinas Jr. all together. Thank you again, Homer. It's been fantastic. That theme music is by Persona La Ave. Thank you so much for listening to the very first episode. And as always, stay safe and stay sane. I will see y'all next time.